0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I'm talking with John Swansburg, an editor at Slate. Hi, John.
0: Hi, good to be here.
1: You also just saw Jesse James, not with me, but it sounds like we both walked out with some, um, some points that boggled us. So I'm going to get straight to them. Since, since this movie spoils itself in its title, we don't need to worry too much about spoiling, but there's still some, you know, a lot of twists in this movie that you might not expect. And I think the plot points that we were both befuddled by have to do with motivation. So let's get straight to them. Now, obviously the whole movie revolves around Bob, Robert Ford's motivation to kill Jesse James and the whole movie is leading up to this moment that you know this kind of lackey and cohort this young guy who's following the James gang around suddenly decides that he has to become the historical assassin of Jesse James and I know that even historically this is this motivation is a little bit vague but do you agree with me that the movie needed to to, to show us this a little bit more
0: I definitely agree with you I was not sure at any point what uh, Bob Ford's motivations were vis-a-vis Jesse. At first it seems like he is sort of in love with him uh, or at least in love with the idea of him. He's been reading these uh, books about him since he was a kid and he keeps them in a shoebox under his bed which he sort of fetishizes and the movie sort of opens with the scene of him trying to join the the James gang and sort of being, he's always comes off as a very sycophantic character who just wants to be near Jesse but you're never really sure why he wants to be near him is it just because he admires him or as as you pointed out in your review one of the great lines that, that Jesse says is do you want to be like me or do you want to be me? And I actually... I think that's a great question, but the movie doesn't really answer it. And maybe the movie doesn't have to, but I feel like it had to come a little bit closer. And I, n- I was never quite sure whether he wanted to be just near Jesse or whether he wanted to replace him or what sort of was going on in his head.
1: Yeah, I don't think that the movie needs to come out and answer that question, wherein Bob Ford would say, I want option A or I want <laughs> right. option B. Obviously, right. the whole point is it's really muddled in his mind and wanting to be like someone who's a celebrity is sort of wanting to be them, etc. But, I mean, the real question is, how do you go from wanting either of those things to wanting to shoot someone in the back of the head? Right. And And it's obviously a really pertinent question now. I mean, for all the assassinations of our time, the celebrity assassination seems like a bigger thing now than it was then. This is maybe one of the first ones of that nature in America. And yet the movie seems content with the level of profundity of just sort of having the question posed very early on and and leaving it hanging there. So even though, you know, I like the fact that this movie is trying to ask these contemporary questions about celebrity, I thought it was a little bit self-satisfied in the way that it got there. I agree. Now, the other motivation, then this is more of a plot point that if you haven't seen the movie, it really would spoil a key scene for you, is why does Bob kill Wood Height, Jesse's cousin, who's played by Jeremy Renner, who's in this great sort of very bland, neutral guy role? Right. Um,
0: he's, he's one of the great supporting cast members, and I felt like all the supporting cast members in this movie were pretty fantastic. Yeah, the uh, whole I, gang is I don't really know, we cast. might dif- disagree a little bit on this. I actually thought that the supporting cast sort of outshone Brad Pitt. I was not that taken with Brad Pitt's performance, but I thought Casey Affleck and all of the sort of small or bit players in the gang were, were pretty terrific.
1: Yeah, but. I have to agree. I mean, Brad Pitt was sort of so perfect for that role just by his very being and his right. kind of the moment in history that he occupied. Sure, his
0: celebrity was perfect for the for the role. I wasn't and sure he's they... working
1: really hard, but he's he's working a little bit too visibly hard. It's yeah. a little bit of one of those straining for greatness kind of roles. I still, though, I find him, I've always found Brad Pitt just really compelling to watch on screen. He brings a lot of energy and, you know, I've, I was excited to see him interact with Casey sure. Affleck, but the level of, of uh, sort of subtlety that the group scenes got at was much better because yeah, no, ultimately great... Jesse James's character has to be underwritten. The whole point is that nobody understands what he's doing or why and that he's a complete right. nut. So. Yeah,
0: no, I think that Pitt sort of captured his mercurial nature and there's there's a sort of great twinkle in his eye when he uh, goes off on some of his crazy rants. Although I just, I, I felt somewhat frustrated that I never knew whether the craziness was a put-on or a or genuine craziness. And I guess maybe the movie is was content to let us not know that either. But uh, I sort of felt sometimes... Like it was a put-on, and sometimes it well, wasn't. I thought it
1: was genuine craziness. I mean, except that he's the kind of crazy guy who who fucks with you before he kills you. You know, <laughs> Fair but enough. it seemed to me that he was playing a legitimate psychotic or I don't know exactly what the diagnosis would be but someone nuts. But wait, sure. but, but back to Wood Wood Height for a right. moment. So why to just briefly outline the scene, I mean there's been this romantic triangle and this sort of like erotic struggle between Height and Dick Little, Paul right. Schneider's character Spelled
0: with two D's. Oh yeah, he's always <laughs> careful
1: to point out. And Casey Affleck's character, Bob Ford, is completely outside of this whole thing. He doesn't right. even really doesn't know about a, it. He doesn't have a dog
0: of. in that fight. Not uh, No dog
1: in the fight whatsoever and yet there's this scene, really great and very brutal and hard to watch scene in which Woodhide is about to kill Paul Schneider's character. What's his name again? Dick Little. Dick Little. And suddenly uh, Casey Affleck shoots him in the back of the head. Why? What would his motivation be? I mean, for one thing, it's an incredibly uh, self-destructive thing to do because that's the person closest to Jesse James, the only member of his family in the gang. So obviously he's going to get on his hero's bad side. Do you think that's why he does it?
0: It doesn't seem that thought out. It's possible I suppose that he, that Bob Ford had already turned on Jesse uh, at that point in the movie and, and therefore decided that this would be, you know, the he would sort of set in motion the events that would lead to him you know, having a showdown with, with Jesse but at least as the as the scene was set up I didn't get the sense that that's what had happened. Like There's the, a much
1: easier way to do that, just go to the police and turn someone in. Sure. Which yeah. he eventually does with Dick Little which is another act that you're not quite clear about the motivation but that's more when everything's falling apart. I right. mean the moment that he kills Wood Height, actually everything's sort of on the up and up. They're hiding out, no one has found them yet. They seem to be on the right side of the wrong side of the law. Right. And it looks like they're going to make it through the winter and sort of all start robbing again. So I don't know quite why he does such a horribly ruinous act at that moment.
0: No, it doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense. The movie doesn't really make a, an attempt to explain it. And uh, I, I was left scratching my head about it, too. There hadn't been any sort of backstory between those two characters. I mean, all of the band of thieves are pretty cruel to Bob Ford, as you mentioned, but as, also, as you mentioned, you know, Dick Little has actually even been crueler in the scenes that we've seen. There's that scene in the beginning where um, Bob Ford's taking a bath and Dick Little sort of accosts him and, and points a gun in his face and is, is very cruel to him. You'd, so you would think, if anything, Dick Little would have been the one who would have been on the wrong side. Yeah,
1: I definitely don't think it's loyalty or friendship to Dick Little no. that makes him makes him do it. Maybe he's sort of testing his mettle and seeing if he's capable of killing a man. But if so, we need to see that. I mean, not to have it laboriously explained by the right. ubiquitous voiceover narrator, right. but, you know, to actually understand it in his character. And I think sometimes this movie... It was sort of like Andrew Dominic, the writer and director, had read too much Cormac McCarthy before he started his script. You know, it sort of had this, like, murky, self-mythologizing, manly Western quality that, that seemed like it was so indebted to the Western tradition that it wasn't actually thinking through its own psychological issues. I
0: agree, and I feel like there were a lot of scenes that sort of felt like set pieces that could have been out of uh, something like a McCarthy novel, where there's just this great violent act, and the movie was content to just say, this happened, and then fade out, and then fade into another scene without really connecting the dots between... The scene that came before it, and and giving it a kind of backstory that would explain why the, the characters are doing what they're doing. I mean, another thing that I found frustrating is that in the beginning of the movie, a lot of the plot is re- revolving around this guy Jim Cummins, uh, who's mentioned uh, by a bunch of different characters, and at one point Jesse's looking for him, and I couldn't remember if. Cummins was one of the guys who was in the the train robbery at the beginning, or not, but I think he's just a red herring. Like, he, we never see him.
1: I don't think we ever see him, no. no. I kept it because I was trying to keep the guy's name straight at the beginning. There's right. so many of them, and you're right, that's somebody who just drops out of the story entirely.
0: Yeah, he's sort of this character who's a, a real kind of plot driver, at least in the first third, but you're never really sure who he is or whether you've met him.
1: And I think I it turns think that's out that's an, that an you adaptation don't. problem from the book. I mean, it felt like, you know, he really loved the book. Dominic really loved the right. Ron Hansen novel and was trying to be really faithful to it. But at times that just made the movie really ponderous and leaden. And like you and I said, it's hard to wish that a three three hour movie be even longer and I right. don't wish it were longer, right. believe me but it needs more exposition of some of these points if it's going to have them in it at all. Right, and okay. I
0: think you pointed out correctly that the the very end is, is uh, particularly frustrating because there's some really interesting story elements that get introduced in the last 40 minutes but the epilogue, uh, which I think is about the last half an hour or so, feels at that point in the movie you don't want four fade outs and uh, a lot of sort of tacked on scenes but you know the, some of the most interesting materials introduced then. I mean I one of the questions I had for you is whether you felt like in the end the movie left you feeling pathos for Ford or whether you actually thought that he was a coward. I mean, it's it's an interesting. You, I feel like I was going back and forth, particularly at the end of the movie.
1: You know, the word coward in the title is really interesting because I don't know who's saying it, right? right? I mean, it sounds like the title to a ballad of the time. It's obviously trying to reference sort of the language of popular literature about Jesse James at the time. But someone has to be saying it, right? right. And I don't come out of the movie feeling that Casey Affleck's character is either brave or cowardly. He's just... Um, I don't know what you how you describe him. He's just sort of like us all, you know, he's right. sort of weak and pathetic and needy and needy of recognition and unsure of why he does the stupid things that he does.
0: Right. And I think that's I think that's that's definitely the case. But um, it, but it
1: seems like the coward, you know, versus the courage, you know, the, the cowardly brave dichotomy implied by the title is something that the movie's trying to comment on rather than take a side on. And I think it needs to be a little bit smarter in order to do that. Yeah, somehow. I felt like
0: it was muddled. I didn't I didn't know where the movie came down on that either. One thing we should talk about before we finish is the other sort of motivation question I think is is very central which is Jesse James himself how he acts in the last scene that he's in when he's when he's actually shot by Bob Ford because it's very it's very strange he he just read a newspaper clipping that essentially tips him off to the fact that Bob Ford and his older brother probably are not trustworthy and may in fact be, be trying to kill him and he's been very suspicious of them from, for the last 30 minutes of the movie but then very strangely Jesse James takes off his gun belt in a sort of very ceremonious fashion and puts it on a a sort of daybed and then makes it a very kind of uh, elaborate scene of, of sort of putting his back to Bob Ford and essentially setting the shot up so that he can be murdered and it almost seemed suicidal in a way it almost seemed like he knew Bob Ford was going to kill him and he kind of let it happen or maybe he was goading Bob Ford into doing it and didn't think he had the you know the gumption to do it but it did seem like this guy who's been set up as completely suspicious of all of his collaborators and has killed you know untold numbers of people he's worked with in the past because he they looked at him the wrong way all of a sudden opens himself up for this murder and I just didn't know why he did
1: that. Well that's something it's sort of hard to attribute to the movie because it is an actual historical mystery why jesse james turned his back at that moment and the movie as you pointed out seems to imply that it might be a suicidal gesture I don't think I don't know that there's really any historical evidence for that because we don't have you know a recorded conversation that Jesse James once had on a frozen river with Charlie right. Ford right. About, right. Where was have the you ever con- con- him, considered yeah. suicide but it, I mean it seems clear at the very least in the movie that it's kind of a sacrifice and that's one of those moments where maybe you can't blame the movie for the fact that Jesse James actually did do this, this enigmatic gesture right before he died and he actually goes to dust this picture frame which he, he actually did oh that picture needs dusting I mean right. what could be a more obvious way to talk turn your back to someone. Sure. And he climbs up on a chair and basically turns himself into a target for execution. So obviously we can't blame the movie for the fact that he actually did that. But something about the fact that we still don't know enough about Jesse James after three hours of the movie to have any theory about why he would have done it is, I think it maybe is a, a fault of the movie. And it's one of those Cormac McCarthy ritual moments that I'm talking about. I mean, right. it's very mythic you know, that it he suddenly drops his gun belt and offers himself like a lamb to the sacrifice. But it's a psychologically realistic movie and it, and within that context it doesn't really make any sense.
0: Right, and, the, and there's the other detail is that he's given, uh, he's just given Bob Ford this gun uh, uh, you know, as a gift so he's sort of murdered with his own weapon as well which I, I feel like I
1: don't know whether that part's true or not. I mean, I think that the book really, really strove to be true You know, to, in, in the, in the, Physical details like that to what happened, so mm-hmm. so I guess that is true, and it all just do, does sort of seem as if maybe Jesse James just realized I'm going to have to die at the hands of someone, and I'd rather have it be this way than you know at the hands of the law or getting caught. You know who knows. Right. But I had I had nary an interpretation after after three hours in the movie, and that felt yeah a little maddening.
0: I agree. One other thing that frustrated me about the movie is that it um, woefully misused uh, Mary Louise Parker, who I'm extremely fond of from her uh, her turn in, in Weeds. And, and I think she has maybe one line in the movie. I mean, and, and you mentioned this in your review that the, the female characters basically have no part in this movie. And, and I, I guess in, they're conjuring a certain kind of uh, old-fashioned Western where that's the case. But like, why even bother carrying, uh, casting Parker in this movie if you're not gonna let her open her mouth? It's just Right, strange.
1: I mean, it's certainly true you know, historically in the West that women were in subservient social roles, but that doesn't mean they never said anything or right. had any personalities. I mean, I mean, Deadwood on TV and you know, HBO is a good example of a show where the women were sort of historically accurate in that they were playing prostitutes and housewives and things that women actually were on the Western frontier, but they did stuff and said stuff right. and they were great characters. Right. All right. Well, after all of this trashing of the movie, do you have anything good to say about it? I mean, I have to say that I, I did enjoy most of the three hours that I spent in the movie, as maddening as it was.
0: I actually uh, totally agree. I, I thought it was very um, pleasant movie-going experience. I thought, um, as I said, all of the minor characters were fantastic. Um, particularly the music's great. The music is great. The character of Dick Little is very funny. Uh, there's there's some great comic relief in the movie. It's it's beautifully shot, and despite the episodic nature, the you know the pacing is a, is about right most of the time. I think towards the end, I felt like in that last forty minutes during what seemed like the epilogue it was dragging a bit but um all the performances were were strong and uh I'm a sucker for a Western, so I, I had a good time. I just was frustrated by these, these plot holes. But, they're, but, in, but in, in a way, I mean, they're fun to, they're fun to tackle. Like the, the person I went to the movie with uh, and I chatted for 45 minutes after the movie, sort of asking some of these same questions. And, you know, sometimes it is fun to leave, leave a movie and sort of scratch your head over those things. But I feel like the movie each time was maybe a half – it owed us like a half step more of explanation or, or setup to give us a little bit more to go on. I, I, but uh, it was still fun.
1: Do you think, uh, you know, Variety gave this movie a total rave and absolutely fell for the kind of mythos that we were just slightly rolling our eyes at? Do you think that this is going to go over big? Do a lot of people want to see a three-hour Brad Pitt Western? I don't think so. Really? You think it's going to flop after a— I don't
0: think it'll flop, but I don't—I don't don't know. I don't think—I felt like it was reaching for that mythos, as as I think you did. But— who knows? I mean, maybe maybe other people will go in for it. It felt it felt like it was trying a little bit too hard to me. But
1: all right. Well, thanks for coming in to discuss it with me. And My uh, I hope our discussion was not as uh, grueling to sit through as the movie itself. <laughs> and um, thank you for joining us on this Slate spoiler special for slate.com. I'm Dana Stevens. <laughs>